Welcome to She Inspires Me. I'm your host, Caroline Bruni, founder of She Inspires Me and Organise Curate Design. Launched as a Facebook passion project back in 2017, She Inspires Me has been reborn to highlight the incredible women we all encounter in our everyday lives and how we can take inspiration from them. Thanks to our key sponsor, Organise Curate Design, I welcome you to listen and get inspired as we showcase these incredible women. Well, welcome to another episode of She Inspires Me. Today, I have with me Jane Fernandez. Jane, welcome. It's such a pleasure to have you on the pod. Thank you very much for having me. Now, I'm going to get straight in and share a little bit about you with our listeners. So, Jane is the head of the FIFA Women's World Cup 2023 office. Now, 2023, wow, we'll get to that in a second because that's doesn't sound too far away now. Um, But Jane has led the Football Federation Australia's successful bid to host the FIFA Women's World Cup, one of the world's largest international sporting events. Previously, Jane was head of sport for the Australia uh, Olympic Committee, managing key aspects of Australia's participation in the 2016 Rio Olympic Games and tournament director of the AFC Asia Cup back in 2015. Jane is passionate about the power of sport and major sport events to drive social change and leave a positive legacy. 2023, does it feel like it's around the corner or does it feel like it's still far enough away for you to go, we've got time? I feel like I've got time to take a breath, but um, (laughs) (laughs) that being said, it is really close. Like three years is not long. Um, Mm. had a little bit longer than that to plan for the Asian Cup, which we hosted here in 2015. But, look, we're really fortunate here in Australia. We've got great infrastructure. There's only one Mm. stadium that's being built, and that's the Sydney Football Stadium. So other than that, all of our venues are ready to go. Um, So that's what takes a lot of time if you have to build a lot of infrastructure. But, I mean, that, that being said, you know, we need to gear up pretty quickly, and we're doing that at the moment, working with FIFA on their delivery structure, and very, very slowly yeah. starting to build a team. But um, this year's all about setting the foundations and making sure we are set up for success. That's fantastic. Now, I'm going to take us a bit further back before we dive into all things getting to 2023. Can you share with us what you were like as a child or a young woman? Um, has sport, were you one of those give me the ball? furious mad sports woman or has has it just been something a part of your life or is it something that you've had a career in and kind of fallen into we grew up playing sport all weekend was all about sport I'm one of four Mm. children and we all oh wow we all played you know through the winter months and the summer months um but interestingly where I grew up girls didn't play football so we went straight into netball which was great I loved it but there yeah. wasn't the opportunity to even try something else. Um, and then in, you know, summer there was cricket and swimming and tennis and a whole range of things. So sport was very, very much a part of our family and a part of our community. Um, yeah. I loved playing. Um, I loved, you know, leading a team um, to success, but I wouldn't say I was competitive for myself. I was competitive mm-hmm. for the team to succeed, but I wasn't, yeah. I wasn't driven for me to necessarily win. It was all about yeah. the, the benefit of, of a group and, and about community. 
And so having that childhood of sport being the thing that you did with your siblings and as a family, you all had those aspects. When did, do you actually remember there was like a point in time where you said sport will be the career path or did it happen in a different way? It was, um, I remember as a kid, dad took us to a Wallabies match. So it was probably my first live sporting event. And I just remember the um, the feeling of, of going to a live sporting event and how much I loved it and I thought I, I'd love to be part of putting these on. And yeah. um, and so that's what really inspired me uh, to take mm-hmm. the part I took. And so after after school I did a Bachelor of Arts in Leisure Management at University of Technology, Sydney, and that really led me into the career path um, that, I, that I took. And I was super fortunate that Sydney won the 2000 Olympic Games right at the time when I was um, finishing uni. I'd done a, a, a year off. I'd done a, a, a travel. I'd travelled across Europe for the gap year after university and then I came back mm. and the timing was just perfect. Oh, wow. That is perfect timing. I know quite a few people that had the opportunity to be involved in the Olympic Games in Sydney and especially knowing people in, in the events industry and how iconic that point in time was and I think we we recently just saw that we saw a lot of people sharing especially in the media their photos from being at the games because you know it's 20 years later now and and um it, it, I found that really special just seeing that kind of flashback to 20 to, to 2000 and and seeing just how many people were involved as well um so, yeah, for me, the year 2000 was the year that I finished high school. So I, um, <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I'm trying to think, what was I doing in the year 2000? And, and sport is not, um, you know, I didn't grow up in, in the kind of household that you did. So right. it was all about music and um, music and food and culture. And that was what we were surrounded by. But, um, but yeah, I was like, what was I doing? I remember, like, the Olympic Games were on, but I was like, oh, that's okay and whatever Did you else. go? But no. Did you go? Did you go no, I didn't. Event? No. No. Um, we, I grew, grew up in Brisbane, so, um, you know, obviously um, I remember watching it. I remember I remember the buzz, though. I remember yeah. just thinking this yeah. is amazing. But I think being a, a, in year 12, I was probably just focusing on my hair or clothes or whatever teenage girls were thinking whatever I was thinking about back then (laughs) you're right it was a really special time and it was um Mm. it was a really important time for the events industry it was almost like this turning point and out of it we created an industry and a lot of Australians then went on to work on other Olympic games I think Athens was the one after that Mm. um and it really set Australia um it, it really we set the benchmark and it and it yeah. meant that off that we we leveraged a whole industry of people around the world. Yeah, and I felt I, when I look back at that point in time, especially when I speak to people in the industry, I've always felt that it was it was when Australia proved that we weren't this tiny little place that was so far away and that we had no idea what we were doing. Not only did we. Um, not only did we prove to the world that we could hold an event of that nature and of that caliber, but we did it so well. Yeah. Um, and then 
it it did. It opened up this pathway and opened up doors for people um, in the events industry to to travel and to be taken seriously because it wasn't it wasn't as much of a novelty to have an Aussie on your team if you were based overseas. You could just we'd proven ourselves. So yeah, so true, yeah. so true, so amazing. So then. I'm kind of bringing us back to today. So in the in the past five years, you've been responsible for some pretty iconic events, um, and I just mentioned the three. Um, and I'm sure that you support people in industry that are working on other things as well. Um, so you leave. So you leave uni. We go. We've got the Olympic Games. How how does that pathway work after that? I guess I'm I'm curious because I know there are some people in the events industry or even some people that are looking to get into that and it's a strange time because we are recording at this time of COVID and mm. events in most cases are not happening, but they will in time. Um, so what's the career pathway? You finish uni. Is it, is it easy to get a job because we're at um, Olympic Games? or is No, it, it wasn't easy. Um, so I didn't go straight into the Olympic Games when I came back from travelling. I actually had two jobs in the conference industry, which was not where I wanted to be, but it taught me amazing skills. Mm-hmm. Um, and it took quite a while actually, but uh, then I was um, successful in getting a job at the Olympic Coordination Authority. And the OCA, as it was known, was responsible for um, building all of the venues out at Homebush and some other sites, opening them, um, operating the site, and then working with SOCOG to manage the master planning for the whole precinct. Um, So it was just an awesome time. It was so fun. We worked hard. We played hard. um, And some of the people I worked with are still some of my dearest friends. So it was just a really formative time. It sort of set me up for this expectation. This is what all workplaces are like. (laughs) (laughs) That hasn't always been the case. Um, But then about a year after the Olympics, um, I got a job at Stadium Australia. It was then, what was it called then, Telstra Stadium? It's now called ANZ Stadium. Uh, and I uh, worked in the events and operations team there. And, again, that was a great time. The stadium had been reconfigured after ho- hosting the Olympic Games. Um, it was the first time um, we were hosting AFL and cricket. Um, and then, of course, we hosted rugby matches and football matches. And it just opened up possibility and opportunity to meet um, other people who actually work for governing bodies. Um, I I worked there for about three years and then just at the time in around 2005 when Football Federation Australia was really relaunching the game, we were starting the A-League, commenced the quest to qualify for a World Cup, which hadn't happened for over 20 years. And um, a client of mine who had worked for a rugby guy called Stu Taggart had moved over to football and um, asked if I'd work with him to help set up the events and operations division, which I did. And so I've just been really fortunate. It's been I've I've sort of moved around, and it's always based on relationship, um, and it's always based on connection, and it's always been based on identifying the people that you can work well with and like-minded values, and that's what's helped create the pathway for me, really. Um, and uh, and that's how I landed into football, and then. From there, it just sort of kept going. We we bid for the um, the Asian Cup, which we won, 
And so then I moved over to the local organising committee to be tournament director for that competition, which was a huge success. It's really surprised everyone. It really did. Mm. Mm. And then once that tournament was over, again, I, I applied for a job at the Australian Olympic Committee um, as heading up the sport division there, reporting into Fiona de Jong. And again, that was an amazing experience. I learned so much through that, that experience um, and skills that I've, you know, taken with me um, as a leader and, and things that I could improve on as a leader. And then that launched me into the uh, bidding for the Women's World Cup, so back at Football Federation Australia. So I I personally have written tenders. I've been involved in some pretty significant um, bids for things um, in my time in the events industry. So I personally understand that. But I guess to a, a day-to-day listener, what does a bid for a Women's World Cup, what does it involve and how long is that process and mm. is it a team effort? Um how is government involved, I guess, for that day-to-day person that doesn't really understand industry? What What is involved in, in winning something like that? Yeah, it's a massive undertaking. So we started bidding in 2017 and that was with the support of the federal government who committed $5 million to the bid. Um, and that was all based on, um, you know, the economic and social benefits that hosting a World Cup would bring to our country. So there's huge mm-hmm. benefits there. Um, yeah. So we started in 2017 and then FIFA delayed the process because they decided that they wanted to alter the process and make it more professional for the Women's World Cup, which I totally support, and align it with the process that they put in place for the men's for 2026. Mm -hmm. So what we did is because we'd already kicked it off, we started looking at the bidding chapter. So FIFA provides you with a chapter guideline, so the topics Mm -hmm. that your bid book that you have to write has to address. Mm -hmm. So we started really early. So we started writing a bid book and gathering data and information based on the men's chapter outline. So we started, um, you know, we went as far as we could knowing that it wouldn't be that, there wouldn't be that many chapters. So then we could bring it back down. So then finally we got the document. So FIFA provides you with numerous um, contractual agreements. So all stadiums have to sign the agreements. There's a number of training sites that have to also sign the agreements to ensure that you can submit a compliant bid. Um, Then there's eight government guarantees that need to be executed unchanged as well. So there's numerous, yeah, there's numerous legal documents and you can't bid without a team. You can't bid without a supportive government, federal and state governments. Um, And it's just a massive, massive effort by so many people. The other really important thing and, and the fun thing is creating a brand around your bid. And so at the, yeah. in the early days, we were we were bidding as an Australian-only bid and we, we went that far for about two years. And at that point in time, our brand was about limitless and, you know, what we can achieve. There are no limits to what we can achieve. And then mm-hmm. um, in 2019, after the Women's World Cup, the president of FIFA announced that he wanted to expand the competition to 32 teams which was really a sign of how successful it was in 2019. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so at that point in time, based on additional teams, additional stadiums, uh, we sought to strengthen the bid by partnering with New Zealand Football. So that was fast and furious. (laughs) You know, we were basically ready to hit print on an Australian-only bid, and so Mm -hmm. very quickly we had to rally um, from really September to go to print in December. 
wow. Yeah, so that was that was a massive undertaking. Um, and we created a new brand, the As One brand. So I had a great mm-hmm. um, Marcom's um, manager, Kim Anderson, who came out with As One. And um, and then we, we went from there. But there's a lot of documents. There's a lot of detail. There's a lot of data that needs to be captured. And, mm-hmm. um, and that all goes into a bid, a bid book. There was also an executive summary that had to be translated into four languages. And oh. then, yeah, numerous, numerous templates that collected uh, a whole range of data to the level of the size of change rooms in stadiums. Um, mm. The number of toilets in, uh, in stadiums, it, it goes down to that level of detail. Yeah. Wow. I, and I guess, like, I, as I said, I, I've personally written some pretty big tenders for things and, and, um, so, and they're nowhere near the size of a bit book. They, they, they're a tender. <laughs> um, but I guess, yeah, everyday person doesn't realize, um, the, the detail and the, manpower behind making mm. ju- just writing the bid and submitting the bid book let alone delivering which is a whole nother conversation so yeah. um now gender equality is is such a significant topic when we talk about sport and when we talk about all elements of society but i know definitely when we talk about sport um, I've heard you talk about the 50-50 target before. Mm. Can you explain to people what that is, for starters, for anyone who doesn't really understand it, and then let us know where you think we are when yeah. it comes to the 50-50 target? Yeah, absolutely. So when we talk about 50-50, it's having equal representation of, of, of men and women, basically. That's a really basic summary of what it means. So um, having 50-50 in participation rates is something that we really would love to achieve through hosting the Women's World Cup. At the moment, Mm -hmm. um, female participation in our game is around 21 to 22%. So, you know, we're getting there, but there's a lot of work still to be done. Um, From a board um, perspective, FFA's board is 50-50. It's something we're really, really proud of. Um, just recently, FFA launched their 11 principles for the future of Australian football. And one of the targets in there and one of the principles is around ensuring we can get to 40-40-20 um, across the game, across all levels of the game. And that, that will take a lot of work and, and partnerships to, to achieve that. But I think it's absolutely achievable. And, um, and so, you know, I think football really is leading the way. Um, and I think it's a, it, it, it shows, um, you know, when, when you can get to 50-50 or even 40-40-20 and having females in decision-making roles, it changes the mm-hmm. conversation. Um, it brings about yeah. diverse thought and we all know diversity in thought equals better business. Mm. And just better day-to-day life for the, the participants and just the people in our communities, that the young girls who know that they can see representation, they can see their heroes well, they, they can they can see themselves in their heroes because they can yep. see a hero that looks like them. Yeah, um, I love I love which, the I love the statement. If you see it, you can be it. And yeah, uh, very my, much so. My friends and I reminisce about when we were growing up, and we didn't see mm. female athletes running around the pitch. Um, mm. We were we were trying to work out when we, what was the first time we actually saw a female athlete, and for <laughs> me, it was probably the female swimmers, the Australian swimmers, um, and, and they were just incredible amazing out of comms com games is watching it on tv yeah. and i think yeah. it is all about visibility so 
the more we can see our female athletes on television um, through social media, the more young girls and young boys um, can actually uh, aspire to to achieve, you know, the feats that our female athletes achieve. Yeah, that that's it's so true. And I have two boys, and it, I always find this conversation really interesting because when both of my boys were born and and those kind of early stages, I often as a parent would hear people, people would say to me, oh, you're so lucky you've got boys, it's so much easier and blah, blah, blah. And and, and for a little while I just kind of let that wash over me and then I, I started just pushing back on that and reminding people that I feel that I have almost more responsibility mm-hmm. because it's my job to teach them to recognise equality and it's my job to teach them to speak up for what's not right mm-hmm. and it's my job to teach them to be advocates and feminists and just good men. Um, and it's moments where my youngest was at school in prep um, and I had a another parent come to me and she was like, oh, did you hear what your son did? And, blah, blah, and I thought, what's happened? Like she seemed happy so it wasn't a bad thing. And um, they had been playing footy. Him and some of the boys were playing footy and um, her daughter had come up, wanted to play. The boys were like, you can't play. And he just picked up these, it was his ball, so he picked it up and he's like, we're going to play over here. If you want to play footy, we're playing footy. It's got nothing to do with her being a girl. And he just kind of got on with it. And I remember picking him up that day going, oh, what did you do at school today? And he's like, oh, I brought my ball and we played footy and that was it. And he mentioned nothing about this specific moment in time where there was this she can't play because she's a girl. Mm. And he was like, that's ridiculous. We're going to go play over here and if you want to play footy, this is where we're playing and that over there, whatever you guys are doing over there, that's ridiculous. So it's those moments where I realise as community we have to do the work at the ground level. We have to have those conversations. We have to make sure there's representation um, and we have to catch those moments um, if we can. But then sometimes if we're doing it right, those beautiful moments just happen on their own because I, I really wouldn't have even known that that had happened if if the young girl hadn't told her mum and she hadn't chose to share it with me and and whatever else. So um, I think we can get a bit stuck on oh, well, you've got boys, so just let the boys do what they're doing. Like, Mm. no, get the boys to speak up because they can make change just as much as the girls can. Oh, absolutely. It has to be done together for sure. And a lot of my friends only have little boys as well and they're super excited that the first major sporting event that their boys will go to live will be the Women's World Cup. Yeah. It's a, it's a, It's a social game changer. It really is. Yeah, definitely. So I watched an interview when I was doing my research. I love doing research for this podcast. It's like my fun. It's actually one of the funnest parts. <laughs> and I saw you um, on an interview that I think was hosted by Football New South Wales where you were talking about the bids. So it was back in 2017. And you spoke about legacy and the legacy of, of an event like this and what it would leave behind. Now that your bid's successful, what are the key legacy pieces that you can see that will be I guess delivered as a whole, but then um, I guess the the most important parts of of this successful event. So we were always really conscious that we would drive a legacy from bidding as well as from hosting. 
So in 2019, we, um, we delivered the Gender Equality Action Plan, which really spoke about um, the 50-50 targets that I mentioned earlier, also spoke about the importance of female leadership um, and, you know, the Matildas and, and developing um, strong pathways for our female footballers. And now fast forward to having having won the bid, we're bringing all of these elements to life. So um, it's timely that we're having this discussion because we're now in the process of developing our legacy framework. Um, mm. We're working with our football stakeholders, our member federations and our clubs to um, gather feedback on the legacy pillars that we've identified. And we identified these in the bid submission to FIFA as well. You know, we're super mm. focused on growing female participation in football, uh, leadership and capacity building uh, for female leaders, um, infrastructure as well. You know, we want to make sure that we have fantastic infrastructure to ensure that we've got equal access to, um, to our training facilities. We don't want our female athletes having the second pitch. You know, let's share yeah. this pitch. Let's have equal access to that. Um, and then also from an international relations and human rights and sustainability perspective, um, that's a massive piece of the legacy plan and something that FIFA is really conscious of. And not too long ago, they launched the human rights and sustainability plan for Qatar for the World Cup. So it's a great demonstration on, of their focus. Um, we made a commitment in the bid book that we'd, we would like to host a 2023 female leadership program and that's about identifying female leaders within our game from across the Asia-Pacific region, hosting mm. a female leadership program but then also um, ensuring that these female leaders have a role in delivering the Women's World Cup as well, so making it a really meaningful experience and that's something that we can also, um, we can also implement um, within our own backyard as well. I mean, having female leaders is super important in our game and we want football to be the sport of choice for women and girls um, on and off the pitch and we need that to happen at grassroots level. We need female leaders in our clubs and really having having a voice and, and directing the conversation. But legacy is super important. It's not just about hosting an amazing event, which we will do, and it will be fun and it will be an absolute festival of football, um, but we want to make sure that we do leave something behind and they're the main pillars mm. that we're focusing our activities on at the moment. I love that in that I hear like when we spoke earlier about, um, you know, the bidding process and the infrastructure and what it brings to community from an economic perspective, there's, there's legacy there, but there's so much human legacy that is going to come out of this as well. And, and not to say that previous large events um, you know, for, like the Olympics, for example, didn't also bring those things. We, we know they did even as we talked about the events industry mm. and how that changed the scope for how Australia and Australians were seen um, all across the world. Um, but this legacy piece is different again and it holds such weight for gender equality and it holds such weight for those young girls out there and your, young boys out there who um, once again can see long term what this is going to do for their lives and opportunities so oh, absolutely sport, really sport has the power to drive huge social change um, mm. and so our job now is to harness that opportunity and to really take it forward uh, and to and to work with so many different stakeholders and partners to make sure that we we achieve our aims mm. so you talked about leadership how do you describe your own leadership style 
Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, and I've reflected on this a lot. I mean, to be a leader, people have to follow you. You don't have followers, you're not really leading. And, <laughs> That's true. <laughs> and, and, and the question is, why do people follow me? And I, um, I think it comes down to trust as, as first and foremost, the most important element of being a leader. People need to be able to trust you. And likewise, you need to be able mm-hmm. to trust them. And I think, you know, the question also is, well, how do you instill trust in people? And, and the way I like to do it is around honest and open communication and always listening first, listening and learning mm-hmm. what's important to, to your team members and to your stakeholders. Um, and, and also, you know, ensuring that, that you can be vulnerable and ask questions if you're not sure or if you're uncertain. Um, and really having a, I really care about my team and I like to connect with them. And, mm. um, most importantly, I always want to have a really good laugh because I always believe that you work better and you learn better when you're having fun. And so yeah. whilst there are moments, um, that can be stressful, I think as a leader, I like to maintain a sense of calm um, and to also then know when there's time to foster play because I think yes. that that builds um, a team, it, it builds them together. Um, mm. I think also as a leader, it's really important to be able to adapt your management style depending on who you're managing at any certain time because from my experience, um, you, that's what I've had to do. The way I manage one one team member would not be the way I would manage another, and it comes down to their personality, their skill set, their style. How do they like to be motivated? Um, and that is super super important because that's how you get the best out of your team. Yeah, and I think that's really important as well to think about those aspects, but especially that communication um, aspect of how you adapt to each person, mm. because. I think people hear the word leader and they think you know management and corporate and they they can get really stuck on the word itself um when I often remind people that they they have the capacity and the opportunity to hold a leadership role in so many aspects of their life be it in their family um I have a a someone that I work closely with and he often refers to head of household, like who's the leader at home and who's making sure that everyone has what they need. And, and, and in that you do, you have to adapt your communication style to the different family members and, and even in friendship groups. Um, There's lots of different styles that are areas of our lives where our leadership um, shows itself and, and is, is needed. Um, Mm. So it's really great to hear those aspects of your leadership style because I think that sometimes when we listen to those we can realize that we can kind of take from that and take and tweak that in our own personal circumstances so that's fantastic so we've heard about Jane the lead um you know the leader in sport we've got all of this kind of we've we've talked pretty high level what are your passions outside of all of this? What do you do in your, do you have spare time? What are you doing in your spare time? <laughs> what are you passionate about? And sport is obviously a really big part of that, but is, yeah. there, is there anything else behind the scenes that you're tinkering away with? Well, um, I think uh, COVID's really made me reflect on that. And um, mm. the things that I used to do before COVID time and the things I do now have really changed drastically. Like, I, you know, um, going to live events like not just sport like live music and theater and and those types of things um 
are experiences that we can't have at the moment. I know they'll come back, but mm-hmm. right now they haven't. Yep. So it's been more, I tell you what, I've done a lot of walking. I think I've, <laughs> I think I've walked an inch off my height, um, but, which is lucky because I'm very outdoorsy. I, I, love, I love being outdoors, be it at the beach or, you know, in mm. the bush or just out in nature. I find it really healing and I find that it can be quite meditative and based on the busyness of my work life, being able to find moments of, of peace and calm and just to be present in nature is super important. It re-energizes me. Um, mm. I'm lucky I have seven nieces and nephews that keep me on my toes and family, <laughs> family is really, really important. And um, so I spend a lot of time, a lot of time with, um, with that crazy crew. Um, and I've got a lot of really dear, dear friends um, who, well, actually I was, I was in Hawaii on holiday and I got back the day after home lockdown was enforced. And right. um so thank goodness I didn't have to uh, go to a hotel. So I was able to isolate in my house. And uh, the kindness that friends and family showed were unbelievable. One of my dearest friends bought me a coffee every morning. Um, oh, I know, unbelievable. Those things right? can make such a difference yeah, to your day. It's unbelievable. Wow. I had other friends. It sort of felt like I was in hospital actually because I'd sit on my front veranda and yeah. friends would come and sit on the pavement and just sort of talk. And it was one, yeah. it was a really wonderful time. And it really did make me reflect on, you know, what is important. And I think relationships mm-hmm. and nurturing those, um, you know, are super, super important. That being said, I am looking forward to the, the time. When we can go out again and, and not have to sign in when you go to the local pub and those types of things. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's um it's a very interesting world that we're in, but it has reminded us that our friendships and human connections are are the things that are most important in the end. Um, Absolutely, that's why. And all of the other things, yeah, bring a lot of joy. Um, but in the end we know that there's some core fundamentals of what we need. Yes. So you you sound like you have some very beautiful friendships and um, family members in your life is there um, and also very connected to lots of people in industry and whatever else is there anyone that comes to mind when you think of who inspires you and and why yeah look I've I've been so lucky I've worked with so many inspirational people throughout my career even I mean if I start with my childhood my grandmother was um, Mm. this unbelievable hilarious force to be reckoned with and (laughs) <laughs> she, she always fostered a sense of play and I think that sort of that's how that started for me. It was always we always had a great time with, with old Mim. Um, and then throughout school I was really lucky to be to have been educated at a school where the, the foundress was very focused on female leadership and, you know, one of her, her famous quotes was um, uh, women in women will come women in time will come to do much and um, and never, you know, I mean I think some of the some of the female leaders that that I've been exposed to really sort of exemplify that. Um, mm. I've also, you know, had a lot of great male bosses as well. Um, yeah, definitely. And, you know, I've had the, the fortune of being able to um, be in rooms where male leaders are supporting female leaders and, um, and, and you know, we all reap the benefits of that. Um, there's yeah. been there has been a lot of fe- amazing female leaders. Um, Jill Davies is someone who comes to mind that some people may know of. She um, she she worked behind the scenes on the Sydney 2000 Olympic Games, and she I've worked with her on a number of projects. 
Um, mm-hmm. And she's she's quite an inspiration. Runs a busy family, plus also, um, you know, highly intelligent, great sense of humour, and had just taught me so much during this this bidding mm-hmm. process. I also had the great fortune of working with Tom Gre- Todd Greenberg, who was my boss at ANZ Stadium. Mm. Um, again, another amazing male leader, um, yeah. very intelligent, um, very kind, and and very supportive as a leader. So you know, I've had um, I've had great experiences. I've also experienced leaders that have taught me of what not to do. And I think um, <laughs> we so, yeah, I think those lessons are also really valuable. Um, and you know, you take the good with the bad, and and it breeds resilience. And for me, for my experience, it's, I, I believe it's turned me into a better leader. Oh, wow. Thank you for sharing that. That was, that was fantastic. And I think it's really important to remember that we have these inspirational people that we have access to because they're so close to us, like family, in your example. And then sometimes it's when you just look around, even in the workplace or whatever else, you're like, wow, I get to work with these people and talk to these people every day and it's pretty special. Um, so as we get closer to 2023, what should we be looking out for when it comes to leading up to this incredible event that we can't wait for? Yeah, well, um, there's going to be a lot of opportunity to engage with our game. Um, we want uh, more women and girls playing our game, so definitely register, get on the pitch, be part of the football festival. Um, support our women's league, our W League um, and our A League, um, our Matildas, our Socceroos. This is about whole of game and there's going to be numerous mm. opportunities to really engage with our game as we head towards 2023, uh, 2023 through, um, you know, hopefully events sooner rather than later. Mm. Um, yeah, definitely. But also, you know, there will be um, opportunities to engage through social media platforms and the like. And we just we just can't wait to um, to really get this started. Well, we will make sure that as much information that we can share is in the show notes, so people can access that information as easily as possible. Then all your social handles and whatever else. So as things start to progress and, and we get closer, um, they can attend and participate. And, and whatever else and share those links with their family and friends as well thank you so much for your time today um it has been i i've had so many beautiful wonderful women who share so many different stories but i realized this morning before we started recording i'm like we haven't talked about sport yet and now we've talked about sport so thank you for sharing You're very welcome thank um, you. and i'll make sure that people can connect with you and and definitely with with the work that you're doing and um yeah it's definitely going to make a difference so thank you so much awesome thanks very much thank you for joining us today and being a part of this incredible community remember to hit subscribe and join us in our next episode to be inspired by more exceptional women